I have a very inappropriate joke stuck in my head now. I mean, we never claim to be a family show. Welcome to Ten Cent Takes, the show where we gay it up yet again, one issue at a time. Like, we don't do that every episode. It's every episode, I know. But here we are again. Well, my name is Jessica Fraser, and I'm joined by my co-host, the patron of Petty, Mike Thompson. I am so fucking petty. Like, I am so the petty. pettiest motherfucker. Like, that's part of why Sarah agreed to marry me. <laughs> He's like, leave tuna in your ex's vents kind of petty. I would 100% do that. I would totally I do would. that. <laughs> and then you would gaslight them into thinking there was no smell. <laughs> oh, man. Well, Mike, how are you tonight? I'm doing fine. How are you doing? I'm good. Well, if you're new to the show, our main episodes usually drop every other week and provide in-depth looks into interesting moments in comic books and how they tie into pop culture and history. And I know normally we would be doing one of these today. Yes, I know. But we have switched it up a little bit. Don't be worried. You're not on the wrong side of things. We changed it up a little bit. We will be doing another deep dive next week. And we did that to coincide with... It's me being precious, basically. Yeah. Our, our, that we wanted to be able to time. You know, it's okay. Mike's allowed to be precious about things. He does most of the technical things for our podcast. So it's, you know, be as precious as you want. Do, do we want to let them know without spoiling the topic? Go for it. All right. So next week, we are dropping an episode that is in honor of National Video Game Day. So, yes, now you know that it'll be somewhere in the realm. It'll have something to do with video games. So, ooh. yeah, what could it be? There's so many options out there. <laughs> there are. So. Speaking of our dollar bin discoveries, which we are doing today, we do spend a lot of time rooting through dollar bins at local shops looking for interesting stuff. And while a lot of the issues we find are fun and weird, there may not be quite enough for us to do a deep dive on at the moment, but we always reserve the right to change our mind later on anything we've covered in our dollar bins. Each episode will feature both of us talking about one random issue we came across in the dollar bins, one that fits a theme one of us chose. I chose today, everyone. Get excited. <laughs> so we'll talk about what it is, what goes on inside it, and why it's interesting, because I chose it. No, also beyond that. These are mini episodes that are meant to provide you with some weekly content between our more in-depth discussions about the weirder and more interesting moments of comic book history. So, Mike, I know you got a lot of queer yeah. shit. What queer shit <laughs> what, did you bring me? today? <laughs> you what? What? <laughs> no, not me. All right. Today I'm talking about Quantum Teens Argo number one, published in February 2017 by Black Mask Studios, written by Magdalene Visaggio, penciled and inked by Eric Donovan, colored by Claudia Aguirre, lettered by Zach Same, and edited by John Gorgia. I can only describe this as a high school, queer, punk, mad science adventure story. 
love already. Yes, yeah. please continue. <laughs> so this is the first of a four-issue miniseries that follows the adventures of Natalie and Sumesh, who are two kids in love. They are mediocre high school students at best who are rebelling against everything because they're teenagers. And they also happen to be mad scientists on the side. We meet them as they are robbing a high-tech facility that was foreclosed on by a bank, but the bank apparently turned on the killer robot security system when they seized it. And as such, we get a fight with some androids before they escape out the back, but are then confronted by a gang of teen thugs armed with laser guns. Apparently, the two groups worked together on a previous raid, but the rival gang took a piece of equipment that destroyed everything in their workshop, and they feel like they are owed compensation. However, the robots catch up with Sumesh and Natalie, and then a three-way battle ensues. But we don't actually see it. We just see the beginning, and then it cuts to Natalie waking up the next morning and applying makeup to cover her bruises. As she heads out for school, her mom stops her and tries to talk to her, but they end up having an argument about how Natalie keeps sneaking out in the middle of the night. Her mom's argument is that ever since she started transitioning, Natalie has become a completely different person from the son she knew. It's... It's kind of heartbreaking, honestly, because you can Yikes. see that the mom is concerned and frustrated over her kid's behavior while Natalie is hurt and angry, but neither seems to be able to articulate it to the other. Um, Ugh, and I, I mean, that's rough. You know, it might have just been the way that the way that it's written. I could see it being taken at surface level with just being like an out of touch mom who doesn't really support what her daughter's going through but i'm also reading it from the perspective of someone who is a parent and it feels like one of those things where neither party fully knows how to express what they're feeling so right yeah anyway sumesh meanwhile is going through the stuff from last night's raid in his garage and it's revealed that he's actually living with a friend's family and he's been taken in after his parents died He's talking with his friend, but their conversations stop short when he finds something that he gets very excited about. It is called a tachyonic actuator. At high school, Sumesh tells Natalie about his find and reveals they can finally finish working on it, which Natalie gets excited about. So after they humiliate a bully at lunch, the two go to, it's like a super science auto mechanic. It's the best way I can describe it. Like it's like a, it's like an auto shop, except for mad science, basically. Love it. Yeah, it's great. Um, They end up talking to the person who runs the operation. Her name is Zero. She's like very kind of like grease monkey hot mechanic with like, you know, a full sleeve tattoo and everything. It's good. Um, Yeah, right. Like, I mean, there's nothing about this comic that you wouldn't like. And so Sumesh explains to Zero that they need help installing the actuator into their project, which he describes as some sort of multidimensional vehicle. Zero says that she doesn't actually have anyone with that specialized skill set. And even if she did, the facility that they got it from wasn't really credible when it was operating. So the actuator probably doesn't work on their way out. They're pretty dejected, but they run into this dude who I can only describe as a mad science bad boy named Wayne Stafford. He's got like a muscle car and shit and sunglasses, but like (laughs) he's also he's also into like mad science. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. So Wayne used to work with and date zero, but it sounds like she kicked him out of the shop after they broke up. There may be more to it. It's not well explained. There's like kind of like some foreboding there where it's like, I don't know. You seem kind of like a douche. So hmm, who knows? Yeah. Red flags. Yeah. But anyway, Wayne says that he would love to check out the tachyonic actuator 
And if it works, help them install it. And when he goes to their garage, they reveal that they're actually working on a time machine. Wayne finishes the installation, switches are flipped, and the machine powers on. But we suddenly see a bunch of sinister looking folks in these outfits that look like they're like hazmat hoodies. That's the best way I can describe it. It's pretty cool. It's like pretty ominous. But they materialize (laughs) behind the group. And that's where we leave off. And I love this. It's weird. It's punk. It's queer. It's really fun. Visaggio's writing is really good. It's great how she manages to just paint enough details for us to piece things together without needing to go into full exposition. Donovan's art is really dynamic and really fun. But the coloring is also really noteworthy because Donovan has a number of panels with blank backgrounds, but then Claudia Aguirre has colored them in a way where it's like they get a solid color for the background. And it really makes them, it really like, makes them pop. And she uses three different colors. That's either like yellow or kind of like reddish pink or light blue. Okay. I reread this a couple of times once I realized that that was going on just to see if the colors were like a a subtle visual clue about the emotion of that particular panel. I don't think it is, but I liked that it made me think it might be. But anyway, totally. It looked amazing. The book is great. So this is a really fun one to find. I found it at Brian's Comics years ago at one of their Thanksgiving grab bag sales where you would pay $5 for a brown paper bag and then stuff it full of as many comics as you could. And this was a blast. I'm so glad I picked it up. Oh, very cool. Yeah. Thanks for bringing that. Yeah. So what about you? Because, you know, I know that you never find anything queer. Never in my life. No. Nope. I don't why would I even be looking for that? I, I can't believe you chose this because like I, I was really worried that you weren't gonna have anything queer to choose from. Oh, it was a big concern of mine. Not me holding up an, a barbecued oyster to a group of people and telling them how shapely it was. <laughs> and then tell they were like, You have a you have a quite the imagination. I said, Yeah, or am I really fucking queer? <laughs> I specifically remember one of our intros was you sitting there and being like, these are my Doc Martens. I am bisexual. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. My hair's really long. I'm pretty straight passing right now. It is yeah. not great. <laughs> yeah. Sarah and I are pretty so. normcore, so we, we pass all the time. <laughs> well, until Sarah comes out in one of her like her intense outfits and then it's like wait a second nope 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 she's too over the top to be a normie <laughs> she's yeah she's got to be one of us <laughs> one of us one of us yeah anyway <laughs> well this week i've brought strangers in paradise number one. Oh, nice the first comic by terry moore yeah so it was both written and drawn by moore published by Anarctic Press in November of 1993. Hmm. So this is the first of a three-issue series, which I believe I I must not have gotten it from you because you sound seem surprised. I, I must have gotten it no. in Outer Plains. You must have. I have the other two as well, so. Nice. Yeah. I know it's getting really hard to keep track of where I get issues. I'm not going to lie to you. <laughs> so. Anyway, it's a black and white comic with a lovely color cover. 
The story follows Francine, who we first see being completely embarrassed at a high school play as she was sent on stage with an ill-fitting dress that was subsequently not on her by accident with her best friend Kachu in the audience. Yeah, so she has now this thing about, you know, her body and blah, blah, blah. So fast forward to their adults. She now lives with Kachu as a roommate and is dating this guy named Freddie, who is constantly pressuring her for sex. They haven't had sex yet. And she's just been turning him down. And she reveals that this is because she feels like once she actually gives in, that he'll leave. Like all of these other guys have done to her before. And they're wanting more of just the conquest and just not sticking around after kind of gaining the prize. Right. So Freddie ends up just like leaving. And he's t- he tells her that they're not going to be going out that night, even though it was their anniversary. It was their one year anniversary. And wow. Kachu okay. clearly doesn't like Freddie and is trying to talk to Francine about getting over him and acts out the type of romance that Francine really needed and deserved, only for it to kind of feel a bit too real. Mm-hmm. And Francine gets real uncomfortable and storms off, wondering why every why is everyone doing this to me, with Kachu calling after that, no, no, it was just a joke, but... In the following panel, she's scolding herself, calling herself stupid because clearly it did affect her. So the next day, Francine decides to go see Freddie and give him what he wants, doing the classic wearing just lingerie under a trench coat game. But as she tries to go to the back area where his office is, the secretary tries to stop her, telling her Freddie doesn't want to be disturbed. And she's like, no, it'll be fine. He'll love this surprise. I know where so this is going. So when she gets there, she... Yep, she rips open her her trench coat, and of course, Freddie is in the middle of necking and has removed most of the clothing of another woman in the office, of course. He immediately fires the secretary that let Francine in, as Francine herself storms out in tears. And Freddie asks to meet with her in the park and tells her that she's not worth the work or the wait. <laughs> and she starts shedding clothes saying that if he's just here for the prize here it is and she's now like naked in the park with freddie screaming about like decency Good. and the next scene that we get is kachu who has begrudgingly met a guy that like she might like it's like this nerdy guy right of course and is about to kiss him when francine runs her car into like the front of the house kachu gets oh, wow. out yeah she like gets the guy David to help and she gets Francine inside, but she's like naked. So he's like carrying her in and he's like, Oh, she's not going to be happy. I did this. And I've just met her. And so they get a blanket on her and David goes to call an ambulance. And Kachu is like cleaning the glass out of her head. Cause she like had hit her head mm. and like her front window had shattered. So she asks Francine who did this. And Francine says, Oh, Freddie, don't. She's kind of like delirious, uh-huh. which gives Kachu the impression that Freddie had had done something to her. And so Kachu vows vengeance, basically. Good. And of course, she doesn't know anything about the park situation. You know, right. we don't but know still... what else happened at the park. Yeah, but we uh, we always want a friend like Kachu. Oh, Kachu is ride or die. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. This is a really sweet comic. 
but it was kind of sad how far into the patriarchy Francine was. Like, she was talking about how she deserved him cheating on her since she hadn't been sleeping with him and was basically throwing herself at him, even though she is clearly the main character and everyone is infatuated with her. Like, even David, after they, like, put her down to to go to sleep and they've, like, put the blanket on her, like, he has this passing thought of, like, wow, she's beautiful. Like, in this really, like, wholesome, decent way, not of like he's a creeper but just like everybody finds her just so genuinely beautiful oh so yeah ironically i was just listening to if books could kill and they were talking about the rules which is this absolutely abysmal piece of dating advice written by a couple of women it's rules for women about how to date and part of it is like basically the big thing is like you have to make men work for it (laughs) i'm like "Mm." Well, yeah, I think Francine just, I think society has told her a lot of really conflicting things. And she I still mean, which, has some hang-ups yeah. about her body, you know, because she was... Oh, what, like, in the 90s? To go on st- what? Yeah, right? Well, she was forced to go on stage when she had this dress that didn't fit her at all in high school. And the teacher yeah. really didn't care and said, you're not stupid, are you? Figure it out. Literally. Like, that's what the teacher said. Wow. And yeah, I know. Right. And so she gets like shoved on stage with this like toga dress that isn't fitting. Like this guy like basically falls and as he's falling, and it just like, yanks it off. Yeah. Shirt, and it just I mean, it's not even her fault. It's not his fault even. But it just yeah. was like a really shitty situation that now like, yeah, of course, she has body issues. Yeah, of course. It's trauma that's going to leave a lasting mark, of course. Right. Exactly. And. She also, like, really cares for Kachu. Like, it's really... She's really confused about that. (laughs) Like, I can tell. I really hope that they circle back to that. Yeah. Because I really don't care about this new dude character that Kachu is talking to, this David guy. I don't give a fuck. Like, I don't don't care. Maybe David can be the ally that we all want. Uh, Unless David is, like, actually trans or something. Like, I really don't care. Like, honestly. And Freddy's clearly an asshole. So just, like, get him just gone. So he like, he was at the park, like, you know, when he like went to the park to like, basically like let her down, like he couldn't have done that on the phone. He called her to ask her to meet up in the park. He couldn't have just said on the phone, heaven fucking forbid. Yeah. He makes her go out of her way to go like, like be rejected. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Sounds like my ex. I know. Let me drive an hour to see you and you're just going to dump me. No. Nope. We can still hang out if you want, though. No, I'm leaving. <laughs> so, yeah. The art is amazing. Like I said, it's black and white. It's yeah. got a fun feel to it. The character is drawn in what, like, we would consider, and especially for the 90s, a larger body. Like, she's drawn with curves. She has a double chin sometimes, like, especially at certain angles. She has oh. rolls on her stomach. It, like... It really was refreshing to see such a desired character be drawn in this way. And it made me feel a little represented, even though I think the character yeah. is still rather slender in comparison with most like real life women. But it's just like a better representation than how they tended to be drawn in the 90s, especially if you get my drift. Yeah. So, yep, I will be reading the other two issues from this series. Uh, I need the full scoop on this yeah. situation. Like. So I've never actually read it. I've known of it for a while. I've read some of Terry Moore's other stuff and, you know, 
the art in all of those series has been just really good. It is. It's really good. So, yeah, I mean, I would highly recommend you check it out. I think you'd like it a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Well, folks, that is it for our episode this week. But you can catch us next week for our deep dive that we had mentioned earlier. So come back and see us then. The week after, we'll hit you with another dollar bin discovery. But until then, we'll see you in the stacks. Thanks for listening to Tencent Takes. Accessibility is important to us, so text transcriptions of each of our published episodes can be found on our website. This episode was hosted by Jessica Frazier and Mike Thompson, written by Jessica Frazier and edited by Mike Thompson. Our intro theme was written and performed by Jared Emerson Johnson of Bay Area Sound. Our credits and transition music is Pursuit of Life by Evan MacDonald and was purchased with a standard license from Premium Beat. Our banner graphics were designed by Sarah Frank, who's at lookmomdraws.com. If you'd like to get in touch with us, ask us questions, or tell us about how we got something wrong, please head over to tencenttakes.com or shoot an email to tencenttakes at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter for now. The official podcast account is tencenttakes, all one word. Jessica is Jessica Witha, and Jessica is spelled with a K. And Mike is Van Sau, V-A-N-S-A-U. You can also find us on Instagram, Mastodon, Facebook, TikTok, and Blue Sky. A full list of our socials will be listed in the show notes. If you'd like to support us, be sure to download, rate, and review wherever you listen. Stay safe out there. And support your local comic shop. 